If you're joining us today, we're, uh, we're about almost halfway through a series in the book of Psalms, and we've been talking about how the Psalms are ancient hymns that were set to music. And they were set to music because music has a way of saturating our hearts and our minds and getting into the deepest parts of who we are. And you know, there's many things that you can allow to saturate your heart, isn't there? There's many things allow that you can allow to enter your mind. It's the things that we watch late at night. It's the conversations, it's the relationships we have with people. There are so many things in our world that we can allow to enter into our hearts and minds. But there are things that deprive our souls, that deprive our spirits. And there are things that feed and refresh our spirits. And the Word of God is one of those things. It is the thing that feeds us and refreshes us and renews us. And so today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 40, but I'm just going to start with verse 1 right now, and we'll go into the, and we'll go through uh, verses 1 through 3 in a minute, but I'm going to, I'm going to read this in the way uh, that I read it in my head. Let's see if you can identify this. Verse 1, I waited (laughs) patiently. Let me read that again. Let's let that sink in. Everybody look to the person next to you and say, I, and then take a deep sigh. Waited patiently for the Lord. I asked my wife one time, I said, what's the hardest thing that God has ever asked you to do? And she said something pretty profound. She said, well, I think the hardest thing that God's ever asked me to do is to wait. Isn't that one of the hardest things? It's not when God says yes or no. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is when God says wait. It's in my timing. You have to wait for my perfect timing. I know what it's like to wait. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. And, and uh, ever since I was a young, uh, a young kid, I always had this desire to save my first kiss for my wife. I wanted the first person that I kissed to be my wife. And so I, you know, there were girls that I liked growing up and stuff, and I was very involved in drama. And so I was, I was offered the lead role a couple times and, and school plays, but I would turn them down because if, if they had kissing roles, I didn't want to take the role. I didn't want to have to kiss a girl. And so, uh, so I, I, I waited and waited and waited to share my first kiss, and I finally met this woman. And I knew after our first date, this is the one. I'm going to marry her. We had our first date. The Lord just like, I just felt, I knew that we were going to get married. And uh, we, we, we were in a relationship for months and months and months. And I decided, I woke up one day and I said, today is the day. Today is the day I'm going to make it happen. Come on. 22 years have gone by. Today is the day that it's going to happen. And so I take her on this beautiful hike, and I'm really setting the scene, you guys. I'm setting the scene. I take her on this beautiful hike. We're, we're going to Eagle Creek Trail. It's in the gorge in Oregon. And there's this lookout point. I had this plan from the very beginning. I'm going to take her to this lookout point, and I'm going to say those magic three words to her for the first time. And so I take her up to this viewpoint, and I look her in the eyes, and I say, Christina, there's something I want to tell you that I feel that I, I haven't told you yet, but I, I just feel like I need to tell you today. And she goes, I think I know what you're going to say, Blake. And I look at her, and I, I said, Christina, I, I love you. I've fallen in love with you. Everybody go, aw. Come on, thank you. Thank you. And she looks at me, and she goes, I love you too. Aw. Yeah, thank you. And I look at her, and I say, Christina, can I kiss you? And she goes, No. What? What? <laughs> Plan foil. You know what? Looking back, though, I wouldn't have. If I could do it again, I wouldn't ask. I would just, I'd just go right for it. <laughs> but I asked, and she said no. And so the waiting continued, church. 
It only continued for another two months, and then, uh, you know, a couple months later, we, had, we shared our first kiss, but it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. I know what it's like to wait. How hard it is, and you know who else knew what it was like to wait? King David knew what it was like to wait. He knew how to wait well. He was anointed to become the king of Israel when he was 16 years old. You know how old he was when he actually took the throne of Israel? He was 30. King David waited for 14 years to be the king of Israel, and it wasn't an easy wait. He was in the midst of battle for those 14 years. He was being pursued by the current king, Saul, who's trying to kill him in the midst of these years. He is waiting to become king. God has already told him, this is what's going to take place. This is what I have for your life. This is what's on you, David. And so instead of just taking matters into his own hands and doing it in his timing and the way that he saw fit, he waited for the Lord to establish him on the throne. David knew what it was like to wait. If you're taking notes, write this down. Patient waiting is something that the Lord looks for in every person because it displays positive, active trust. Positive, active trust. Rarely do we receive the blessings of God on our time. Do we? His ways are better than our ways. His plans are better than our plans. Let me ask you this morning, what, what are the things that you've been waiting for? Perhaps uh, you're looking to sell your house. You're looking to move, but you're waiting for the, the market to be just right. You're, maybe you're, you're trying to buy a house. Some of you are wa waiting to find a good house. Maybe you're, you're married and you're watching online. Maybe you're married and, and, or, or you're here and you've been trying to have kids and you can't have kids. Or maybe you're waiting for an answer that you've been asking God. You've been asking God this question and you've been waiting for years and years for an answer. Maybe you've been waiting for a healing, a miracle to take place in your life. What are you waiting for? Waiting is one of the most difficult things that God will ever ask of you. But what he's really asking you to do when he's asking you to wait, he's asking you to trust that his ways are better than your ways. His timing is better than your timing. That his plans for your life are better than your plans for your life. When God asks you to wait, he's, asking, he's actually asking you to trust that he has your best interest in mind. This morning, I want to encourage you by reminding you of the blessing that comes when we wait. But before we go into the next couple verses, let's, let's just camp out on those first three words. I waited patiently because I believe that these first three words, they are the key to unlocking the blessing in, in our life. The first word is I. I waited. It's not your pastor. It's not your spouse. It's not your mom or your dad or your kids, whoever else you look up to. No, patient waiting is a personal thing. It requires for you to wait as long as it takes. You have to determine in your heart that you will wait however long it takes. You know, oftentimes when we think of waiting, I think of, you know, in, in Oregon we have the DMV. It's where, you, you know, you've got a DMV here, obviously, but, but in Oregon it's where you get your license and your registration, and, and it's just terrible. When we moved here to Washington, we were so impressed by the licensing service and how quick, everybody, uh, how quick everything was. I don't know if that's your experience here, but it was our experience. But, but when I think of waiting, I think of going to the Oregon DMV and grabbing a ticket, and you go and you sit down, and you just do nothing. And you look on your phone, you're thinking, of, you're thinking of all the things that you could be doing in that moment. See, when the Lord is asking you to wait, he doesn't say, grab a ticket. There's more important people in, in front of you. I have more pressing matters to get to. So you grab a ticket and you wait your turn until I can get to your little insignificant request. That's not what God does. No, God is personal. 
God knows the needs and the desires of your heart. And when he asks you to wait, he says, do you trust? Do you trust that I know what's best for your life? Do you trust that I see your concern? I see there's no money in the bank. I see you're waiting on healing. I see you're waiting for the answer to this question. I see you. And this is personal. You know, David, he says, I waited on you, Lord. And every time we see the word Lord in the Hebrew, it's the personal name of God. It's the name Yahweh. And David says, I waited on you, Yahweh. He's making it personal. God wants to make waiting a personal thing. He doesn't want you just to grab a ticket and idly stand by as you wait for something to happen. He wants it to be an active, personal relationship as you wait. He's beside you. He's drawing nearer to you in those waiting seasons. And as you wait for him to move. See, the second word in, in, this, in this verse is waited. Waiting is hard, but it doesn't have to be painful when you know how good God is. When you know that there's a blessing attached to it. When you know that there's, there's something good coming at the end of this, waiting. It doesn't have to be painful. You can be filled with hope and expectancy knowing that God has your best in mind. I have some little kids right now, and we, we discovered this once again yesterday. We took our kids to Leavenworth yesterday, and, and we regretted the whole thing because... Our kids just don't do well in the car. Like, uh, we have got four kids under the years. Uh, they're five years and younger. And two of them get severely car sick. And, and, and they don't like to wait. And so we get in the car and we tell them, okay, we, we're going to go see Grandpa and Grandma in Leavenworth. They've got this big house. They've got a hot tub there. It's going to be lots of fun. We're going to have a blast once we get there. And they're excited. They're ready to go. We're in the house. They just want to get in the car. And you know, parents, what happens. You get them in the car and ten minutes later, are we there yet? I'm, I'm car sick. Oh, uh, I, I need to pee. And it's just like, they don't, see, when you're young, when you're young, you don't see, you can't see the destination, right? You can't see what's lying at the end of the road, that there's something good that's coming. All you can see is now and what you're stuck in and what you're facing. And God, he, he wants you to wait with the end in mind, trusting that he is good, that he's got something good for you coming. He's got a blessing attached to your waiting. And when you understand how good he is, the waiting becomes endurable because you know that he's not going to disappoint you, right? Waiting is saying, God, I trust that you are good. James 1 verse 17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from God. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew there are two words for time. There's the word chronos and the word kairos. There are two words for time, but they're different kinds of time. Chronos is the time that you and I are familiar with. It's the ticking of the clock. It's the days on the calendar. It's the months and the weeks. It's the time that we can schedule around, the time that we can prepare for, the time that is on our clocks, the time that we have planned for our life. It's like this river, this continuous river that is flowing. You can't stop it. It's going to keep going, but you can plan around it, can't you? Right? It's this expectant time that, 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 that you're familiar with. That's Kronos time. But Kairos time is a type of time that you have no control over. It's the timing of God. It's the perfect timing of God. It's, it's when a nine-month Old, it's when a nine-month pregnant woman, her water breaks, and she looks at her husband, and she says, it's time. That's Kairos time. That's a time that's out of your control. You can't, you can't, you can't control that kind of time. Kairos time is God's perfect 
timing. Now, let me ask you this. You know, I, I, when I think of Kronos time, I think of standing in line at Walmart, waiting, waiting to be checked out, right? Because sometimes I just have too much stuff, and I don't want to do the self-checkout, or there's a line there. So I, so I wait in line, and I just, I'm frustrated. I'm aggravated. I'm hot. I want to get home to my family. It's at the end of the day. I'm hungry. That's Kronos time. But Kairos time is when the kids are in bed. I go out on the deck. There's a cool summer breeze, and I'm playing the guitar, and I find this melody, and I just start playing my guitar, and, I, and it lasts for hours and hours and hours, and I look at my clock, and I go, holy smokes, it's been two hours already? It feels like I've been here for 10 minutes. Kairos time is the kind of time that refreshes you, that gives you life, and you don't even realize that it's passing by. See, Kronos time is like this, this flowing river that never stops, and you get swept away in it, and you can't, you, 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 can't, you can't control it, but you try to schedule around it. But Kairos time, it's like swimming in a lake, and you just enjoy it. You're just in it for the moment. You're just in it to experience what God has for you. This is the kind of time that God wants us to live in. It's a God timing. It's his perfect timing. It's his kairos timing. And when we live our lives in kairos time, we feel the stress and the weight and the impatience and the, the heaviness of life begin to fall off of us because we enjoy being in God's presence. He wants you to live in kairos time. The third word is patiently. Now, the, lip, the, the Hebrew literally translated, it's translated, I waited, waited. It doesn't even have the word patiently in the Hebrew, but it's a doubling of terms. It's the doubling of the word waited. And anytime we see a doubling of, of a word in the Hebrew, it expresses a magnitude and an intensity, but it implies an attitude or a posture of patient disposition. It's, it's the person who says, I'm in no hurry, God. It's that swimming in the lake. I'm in no hurry. I'm here as long as it takes. God, take your time. Now, this is, this is difficult, isn't it? When you, when you need something, when you need healing, when you need an answer, when you need a breakthrough, and it's not coming because you've got your life planned out for yourself, and you know what's best for your life, right? That's what we all think. I know what's best for my life. God, I know when you need to come through, and right now is when you need to come through. It's hard to wait that way. But God wants us to wait in a way that says, I'm in no hurry. God, you do it on your timing. Because I believe that whatever you are going to do, it's better than what I've got planned for my life. It's not a twiddling of the thumbs kind of waiting either, right? It's not a take your ticket and sit down and just, just wait for something to happen. But it's this eager, active anticipation. It's like, it's like waiting uh, at a surprise party, right? Behind the couch or behind the door. And, and, and you're waiting for that birthday person to walk into the room. So the minute they open the door, you can yell surprise. It's this anticipation, it's what a mother experiences when her baby is coming and she's in labor and there's this anticipation. I'm going to meet my baby. I'm going to see his face. I'm going to hear his voice for the first time. I'm going to see what color his eyes are. It's this anticipation, this eager longing for something to happen. Jesus, he spoke about this kind of waiting in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 38. It's on the screen. He says this, be dressed and ready for service. And keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching. This word means to give strict attention to when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and he will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night 
or toward daybreak. See, God desires us to be waiting with an attitude that says, your timing is better than mine, Lord, but I am going to wait, and I'm looking forward to your blessing. I'm looking forward to what you have for me. And when we wait like this, God blesses us. Let's continue reading verses 1 through 3 of Psalm chapter 40. It says this, I waited patiently for Yahweh, the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. When we are waiting, God is doing some things behind the scenes. And and most of the time, we are completely unaware of what God is doing. Sometimes we're aware but, but God is often doing something behind the scenes in seasons of waiting because he knows what's best, right? He's good, and he's preparing you. He knows what's best. And so let, what are some of the things that God does in seasons of waiting? Well, David talks about five of them right here in the first three verses. The first thing that God might be doing, if you're in a season of waiting, God might be doing this in your season of waiting. The first thing David says is, he turned to me. God is turning to you. He turns to me. This is better translated, he bent down to me, or he turned his face toward me. My, my kids, you know, when, when they want to show me something, Gideon, you know, he'll build, he'll build a Lego thing or something, and he, he thinks it's really cool, and, 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 and he'll come in the kitchen and go, Dad, 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 look, Dad, I want to tell you something. And sometimes I'll be on my phone, and I'll go, yeah, what is it, Gideon? Yeah, what do you want? And I'm, I'm ignoring him, and he, he won't continue until I put away my phone, and I look at him in the eyes and go, yes, what would you like to tell me? Because then he knows he has my full attention, right? That my face is turned towards him. That my, he has all of my attention. This is what God does in seasons of waiting, is maybe he wants to use this season of waiting as an opportunity to show you that you do have his full attention. That he's turning his face towards you. He's bending down to you. Who doesn't want a private audience with God? That moment when he stops and he bends down and he looks you in the face and asks you what's in your heart. God hears your voice. He'll give you an audience when you wait upon him. Maybe God is doing that in your season of waiting. Maybe maybe God is doing this in your season of waiting. Here's the next thing. David says that he pulled me from the pit. He pulls us out of the pit. Now, this language from the pit is, is also seen in Jeremiah 38, where the prophet Jeremiah, he's thrown into this pit, and there's, it's, it's, it's muddy, and there's, and there's muck, and there's mire, and Jeremiah is sinking in, into this pit, and the king hears of Jeremiah's plight, and he throws ropes down there, and he pulls him out of this pit. Well, the pit in the Bible, and I, I think I talked about this in our Daniel series, the pit often refers to our sin. It's, it refers to our sin. And it, it, be, it represents being lost in our sin. And, and let me ask you this morning, what, what sin might you find yourself in? Maybe you're waiting, but, but what are the things that are going on in the background that you're not willing to talk about? Maybe there's, maybe there's addiction. Maybe there's a secret you're hiding from your spouse. Maybe, maybe you've been ignoring the voice of God. Maybe he's been trying to speak to you, but you've been ignoring it. You haven't put aside time. See, God promises to forgive you of your sin. He wants to lift you out of the pit of your sin. And maybe, 
you know, we want God to move us forward. We want to see the next blessing of life. But, but God, I don't think God wants to move you forward while you're broken, right? He doesn't want you to move you forward while you're in the midst of a battle. No, I think God would rather you wait with him and allow him to pull you from the pit. Allow him to graciously forgive you and take you from that place of addiction, take you from that place of secrecy, take you from that place of ignoring the voice of God, whatever it may be in your life. He would rather lift you out of the pit before you move forward. Maybe you're in a season of waiting because God wants to do something right now in this season. And he doesn't want you to move forward until you deal with this first. This is what happens when we wait, as we posture our hearts to patiently wait on God, we begin to see the stuff in our life, the filth, and we start offering those things to God. The third thing David talks about is this, that he set my feet upon a rock. And right here, this is the story of salvation in a nutshell, isn't it? That God lifts us from this slimy pit, lifts us out of our sin, and places our feet on the rock, on the, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when we cry out to God and are lost in our sin, God brings us out, sets our feet upon the rock of Jesus. Nothing is stronger, church, than the foundation of Jesus. We live in a world, uh, and, and it's, I believe it's only human nature, to put your identity in things that fall apart. We place our identity in our career. The first thing that we ask somebody when we meet them is, what do you do? And what we're asking them is, like, what defines you? You know, like, we, we think that's what they're asking us, right? When they, when they ask us what we do, sometimes we think, oh, this is what, they want me to define myself by, by, by what, I, what my occupation is. Or we, we place our, our foundation on the opinions of our spouses or our parents or our kids or our bosses or, or whatever it is. We put, our, we put our identity on things that will fall apart. And here's the truth. The reality is people are going to fail us, Right? Our spouses are going to fail us. If you're married, you know the truth. You know what that's like. The opinions of people, they're going to think little of you sometimes. And if your identity is placed on that, on that, it's going to fall apart. What God wants to do maybe in a season of waiting that you're in, maybe he wants you to put your identity in the person of Jesus Christ. Honestly, church, if, I, if I'm being real with you, I feel like I'm in a season right now of that. I believe God wants, he's doing that in my life. He wants me to put my identity in Jesus. I've put my identity and in, in being a pastor and, and how big my church is and what people are saying about me and, you know, are they checking out my online gatherings? Are they seeing the new stage design? Are they checking out the, you know, and I, and I want my significance, my significance to come from other people, but I think God has me personally in a season of, let me set your feet on a rock. Let me, let me, let me form you and shape you out of who I've created you to be. As a child of God, because nothing else matters more than that. You are a child of God, a worshiper of Jesus. That is who you are, and everything else grows from that. Worship, our worship, our love for Jesus, it's the soil that everything grows out of. Our careers, our, our, our even telling people about Jesus, the things that we do for God, it all comes out of the soil of worship. Have you ever felt like, Life is this series of highs and lows. One day you're fine, and the next day you're depressed and you're anxious, and things are going terrible. But the foundation of Jesus, when you set your feet on the rock of Jesus, it provides a security and a peace that brings comfort in every season of life. Even when tragedy strikes, you know that God is good, that your foundation is unshakable. It's on the rock of Jesus. 
Here's the fourth thing. David says, you put a new song in my mouth. I think maybe for some of us in our seasons of waiting, God wants to put a new song in your mouth. Songs are meant to be sung. When you have an experience with God, you can't be silent about it. You have to share how God brought you out of sin and into joy and freedom. There's a newness and a freshness to David's experience with God that that causes him to not stay silent, to sing about God's love for him. Christina introduced me to a place when we were dating. We, one of my favorite restaurants to go to is Portland City Grill. And if you're ever in Portland, maybe you've been there before. It's a restaurant that's uh, on the 30th story of one of the tallest buildings in Portland. And uh, they have great food. But the best part about this place is if you get, if you get up there right before the sun sets, you can see the entire city of Portland with the Willamette River going right through it. It's beautiful view of the city of Portland. Now, I'm not sure it's as beautiful anymore as it once was when I went there. But, but that's another discussion. But as the sun begins to set, the lights, the city lights come on, and you can see the entire city at night with the lights all lit up, the bridges are lit up. It's a beautiful sight. And so now, now I, you know, when, when people ask me for a recommendation, where's a good place to go eat if they live in Portland, I'll always say, go to Portland City Grill. You're going to have a good... See, I've had an experience there, right? I've, I've tasted and seen the goodness of Portland City Grill, Right? <laughs> And I want people to experience that goodness too. And so when you experience something good, you got to share it. You want to tell people about it because you want them to have the same experience. Maybe you've been lifted out of the pit. Maybe your identity is on the rock. And, and, and there's always work to be done, church. Don't get me wrong. But, but maybe you're in a season where God just wants you to share. He wants you to tell people about his goodness. He's saying, you don't have to wait around and do nothing. I, I got you in a season where I've been good to you, and I want you to sing about it. I'm putting a new song in your mouth. I'm showing you the new perspective, what I've given you. Now sing about it. Tell other people about it. The last thing that David talks about is that others will put their trust in God. Others put their trust in God when we patiently wait. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the most exciting thing to share. Nothing should keep you from sharing with others what God did for you. He saved you from your sin. He gave you life forever. What a song to sing. Our worship should reflect how grateful we are to God. When people far from God, now when I talk about worship, I'm not talking about in here. I'm not talking about lifting your hands and, 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 and raising your voices and clapping and dancing. No, when I, when I talk about worship, I'm talking about offering your life as, as a continual sacrifice to the Lord wherever you go. Every thought in your head, when you meet somebody, it's, it's how can I love this person the way that Jesus wants me to love them? That's offering worship to God. And when you do that, people see God in you. When they look at somebody who's waiting patiently on the Lord, somebody who says, I trust that my God has a better plan for my life than I have. When people see that in your life, it moves them closer to God. Let me ask you this. If you're, if you're a parent in the room, what are your children learning from your demeanor in worship? When they see you worship, both in here and out in the community, do they see the same excitement, the same zeal as when you go to a football game? Do they see you prepare your heart for worship as you prepare for a vacation? You plan it out, right? And you look forward to it. Do your kids see that? Do your kids see you hungry to arrive, seeking the face of the Father? See, children, a lot like non-believers, they're watching to see what you do. If you want your children to grow closer to God, you show them 
how to worship. You show them what it looks like to wait patiently on the Lord and expect his timing to be better. And that's my heart for my kids is that they see me waiting on the Lord that, and, and to know that I don't, I'm not a perfect person. I don't want my children to see perfection. I want my children to see the pursuit. The pursuit, waiting on God. That I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to God. And when I fail, those are opportunities for me to come and apologize and to be vulnerable, to be honest. I had to do that last night because I got frustrated with one of my kids. And I, I went back into the room after he laid his head on the pillow. And I just said, I'm sorry. I love you. I didn't mean to talk like that. See, my kids, they don't see perfection when they look at me. They see the pursuit. That I'm trying, right? And when other people, non-believers, when, when people outside of God, when far from God, when they see you patiently wait on God, and they see you worship him with your whole heart, singing that new song, it brings them closer to God. So that's what God may be doing behind the scene. But really quick, I'm going to give us three things. I'll, I'm going to give us three things on what we should be doing when we wait on God. Because God's doing something behind the scene, but, but as God is doing something behind the scene that we might, might not be seeing, what are some things that we can do to wait well in a season of waiting? The first thing that we can do is we can praise God for what he has already done. Praise God for what he's already done. Psalm 71, 14 says, I will hope continually and praise you more and more. We have to always remember the things that God has already pulled you through and give him praise and glory for those victories. Recalling those moments not only renews our faith in who God is, but it provides hope and courage in our present situations. Stop focusing on what you don't have and be thankful for what you've already been blessed with. I remember, like I said, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I got a lot of stories about my Toyota Echo. And I remember being in my Toyota Echo, and I remember catching myself thinking, man, what a piece of junk. I, I'm ready for a new car. God, give me a, an SUV with a moonroof and a great stereo system so I can listen to music. Like, I'm just sick of this car. But every time I caught myself thinking those thoughts about getting a new car, I always placed my hand on the dashboard. I said, God, thanks for this car. This car that you've given me has been a great car. I see people walking on the streets all the time because they can't afford a car. You've given me this one, and it's lasted this long. I'm thankful because I can get to work. I can get to where I need to be. The AC still works. Thank you, Jesus, for this car. <laughs> Being thankful for what you have, for what God has already done in your life, is a key to joy and contentment. Because if you don't keep your eyes on those things and you put your eyes on the things that you don't have, that's the first thing that steals your joy. That's the first thing that steals your contentment. When you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and you're like, oh, man, they got a new car. Oh, man. What? When did they get that? When, when did they do that? Oh, they're traveling to Europe. Oh, man, they're going to Hawaii again? I haven't even been to Hawaii. <laughs> this is terrible. See, when you're focusing on the things that you don't have or the things that you haven't done, it steals your joy. I think God wants us all to wait in gratitude and in thankfulness for what he's given us because, because I, I think that shows God good stewardship of what you have. He can see, oh, wow, he, he recognizes, she recognizes the blessing that's on their life. I'm going to give them more so they recognize that, sing about that, and other people get to know God. Praise God for what, you've, what he's already done. The second thing that we can do is we need to keep a proper perspective. 
realizing that God is good. Have the end in mind. Expect it to happen. Isaiah 55, verse 9 says, For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Have you ever shown up at a big theme park and you take a look at the roller coaster and, and when you look at it from the side, it's just tangled up, right? Looks like this big knot. You don't know where it's going and then you get on the roller coaster for those thrill seekers out in the crowd. I know I can sense this is a room full of people who love roller coasters, okay? <laughs> and so you get on that roller coaster and you have no idea what's going on. You just can't see the surrounding landscape clearly because when you're in the midst of it, it can be chaos. But, but what I think God is inviting us to do is hop in a helicopter, right? And just, get, and just keep, that, keep that, that big picture in mind, right? That he's good. You're going to survive this roller coaster. <laughs> that he's got good things at the end of this. We need to take a step back, take a look at the bigger picture. It's not about what we think is going to satisfy us now, but it, it's what God wants to do in us and for us and through us later. And when we remember that immediate gratification is not the end goal, God has our greater interests at heart. We can faithfully continue to trust in him. Keep a, keep a perspective. Don't be like my kids in the car. Are we there yet? Is this going to happen? Is this actually, God, are you going to come through for me? No, there's a blessing. His, pro- his word is true. God does not lie. If he, if he has promises in his word, it is for you. It is for now. Keep that in mind, the proper perspective that he's good. The last thing that we can do is, this is really generic, but we prepare for the next season. Maybe, you know, as we wait we prepare for the next season. First uh, Corinthians chapter nine verse twenty-four says, "Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything." Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly, or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body, and I bring it under strict control. Now, if you signed up for a marathon today, that was going to take place six months from now. Hopefully, you're not just going to sit around and wait for it to happen, right? You're not just going to sit around and wake up the morning of the marathon and say, let's do it. I'm feeling good. I got my couple cups of coffee. I'm going to run this marathon. Bring it on. No, hopefully you're not going to do that. Hopefully you're going to get up a little earlier. You're going to exercise. You're going to eat well. You're going to train. You're going to build up the stamina and the endurance required to run the marathon. See, God, maybe as, as we are in a season of waiting, God might have you here, and he wants you to prepare for something that's coming, for the next thing that he has for you, a bigger season. And he needs us to be alert and aware of our callings and what God has for us coming up. God is never through with us. There's always something more. We go from glory to glory, church, where God brings us into higher callings and, and, and he, he does more and more in our lives, but we prepare for those things. What can you do right now to prepare for what God is already preparing you for? What is God trying to teach you now while you are waiting? Mary, can I have you come up and play the piano as we close? Church, I... I, I want you to know that that I can empathize, I can empathize with with the waiting. I know I know how hard it is. 
I know how difficult waiting can be at times, but I believe that, like I said, I, I think that God wants us to wait in joy and expectancy and not be frustrated, not be irritated because things aren't happening the way that we want them to happen or happening on our timeline because God's timing is perfect. And he invites you this morning to lay aside your troubles, to put down your anxieties, cast your fears and your cares, trust in the Lord's goodness and as you wait for him to move. Celebrate God's gift of mercy and grace, God's touch of forgiveness, God's power to lift you out of your sin, God's provision to set you on a solid rock. Sing a new song in this season of waiting about the goodness of God so that other people can put their trust in God as well. Can we stand together, church? I want to do two things. I, I want to give an invitation to, to those who, who don't know the Lord. Maybe you're here for the first time or you've, you've walked away from the Lord. But, but I want to give an invitation for maybe those who are watching online or maybe here in the room and, and, and you feel like you've wandered away. You've become a person that you don't recognize anymore. It's not that person that you once were or maybe... Or maybe you're just completely unfamiliar with the goodness and the grace of God. And as I talk about it, it's confusing. But you want to experience it. But can we bow our heads and close our eyes, church? If that's you and you're in this room, you say, I want a relationship with Jesus. You've never had a relationship with Jesus before. Would you lift your hands so I can see? I want to pray over you. I'm not going to bring you up to the front or embarrass you. I just want to partner with you. Are there anybody in the room? Second invitation is uh, I want to invite those of you who you're in a season of waiting. It just seems like you've been praying about something for so long, and it seems like the only thing that's on your prayer list, and it's just you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. You're confused by what God is doing. I just want to pray that you would be gifted by the Holy Spirit a new capacity to trust that you would be gifted by the holy spirit a new level of of eager expectation and that the waiting you you would surrender those things that you don't have any control over and you would wait on the lord to move let me pray for those of you if that's if that's you would you just slip your hand up i want to see your hands God. Let me pray. God, Holy Spirit, right now, come into this place. Fill this room with your grace, with your goodness, God. Father, we try, we try, we try to do it on our own. We, we run faster, we run harder, we pray harder, we read the Bible more. God, we try to do it on our own strength, but it's just not good enough. Help us understand that your ways are higher than our ways, God. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your plans for our lives are much more grand than we could ever imagine for ourselves. So, Father, give us the trust that we need. God, we offer you our faith that we have, and we ask that you would supply the faith that we don't have. The trust that we don't have. God, be there. Meet us in the middle. Father, we, once again, we surrender these prayers to you, these things that we're waiting for. 
I would just encourage you right now, just whisper under your breath, God, I trust that you have a good thing planned. I trust in your goodness. And I will try my best to live in Kairos time, in your time. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And the church said, amen. Hey, I want you to know, church, as we go into this room and enjoy each other's company, I'm going to stay in here for a few minutes, and my wife will stay in here for a few minutes. And if I could have some of the prayer team come up, uh, the, the darts, and, and uh, Jethro, if you're here, Kurt Baker, if you're here, uh, would you join me upstage? We want just to take an opportunity to pray for those of you who just need prayer. Maybe you need to be refreshed. Maybe you just need a fresh a fresh word from the Lord or you've been hungry. We're going to stay up here for a few minutes to pray and, and the rest of you can make your way into the other room and enjoy some food. God bless the food uh, that's been prepared for us. We love you, God. And uh, we thank you uh, for this time to, to spend together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.